Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Don't let yourself get attached to anything you are not willing to walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you feel the heat around the corner. And welcome to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, Heat. Beware, spoilers. Coming to you from my basement, as always, my name is Don. And to my right, we have our comic book guy, John. I'm feeling the heat tonight. And to my left, we have the professor, Ken. You know, we're sitting here. You and I are just a couple of regular fellows. You do what you do, and... I do what I got to do. And now we're sitting face to face. I'll tell you, if I'm there and I got to put you away, I won't like it. But I'll tell you, if it's between you and some poor bastard whose wife you're going to turn into a widow, brother, you're going down. Well, there's a flip side to that coin. Let's say you do have me boxed in and I got to put you down. Yeah, we met face to face. But I will not hesitate. Not for a second. And joining us tonight for his first time, our long listening fan, this is Ronnie. Don't let yourself get attached to anything you're not willing to walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you feel the heat around the corner. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you. Wait, so you're going to get up and leave the show halfway through? Pretty much, yeah, yeah. And he's out. Yeah, and he's out. Been about thirty seconds. If I left though, you wouldn't. You'd just cut off my mic, wouldn't you? No, I'd leave the mic on because you're gone. Why would I? Well, maybe I would cut off the mic so I wouldn't get background noise. And then the professor and Ronnie and I would have a wonderful conversation about heat because something in your eyes tells me that you don't appreciate this movie, and that's that's fair. I can't wait to get into it. I'm looking forward to unpacking this movie. Yeah. Heat comes to us from Ronnie. You made the suggestion. We put it in the hat. We drew it out, and you uh, wanted to come on and talk about it, which is fucking fantastic. So, again, welcome to the show. We're really happy to have you. Thank you. Um, why Heat? Um, I was. It was actually uh, last Christmas. I was checking out all the, the Christmas movies uh, that we have. We, we usually bring them down um, so we can watch them during the Christmas. And I was going through all our movies, and I saw Heat and... Uh, John had, you know, he told me, you know, you got to come up with a movie for, you know, to submit for, for the podcast. And I just wasn't sure which, which one to pick. And I saw Heat and I just knew right there and right then that this this is it. Because, you know, I, I right then I remembered, you know, the, the shooting scene. When I watched this in the movies back home in Denmark, uh, that just blew my mind. And I just in general thought that it was one of the most awesome movies I'd ever seen uh, when I saw it back then. and. Actually, I haven't seen it since. So I was like, I got to watch that again and you know, see if it's as good as I remember. Uh, I thought that I remembered that it was going to be. So, yeah, that's why. So it's been a while. I probably haven't seen it. I, so I bought it on, on 
DVD when it came out in Denmark. I don't even think I watched the DVD, even though I bought it. So I think when it came out in in was it ninety four, ninety five, ninety five. Yeah, in the movies. I think I think that's actually the only time I've seen it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Julie and I watched this movie, and when they started getting into the big shootout scene, especially in the beginning with the armored car and all that, she wanted to know: Did that make it a Christmas movie? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, your wife uh, i love her i do she drives me up the fucking wall uh did she finish watching the entire movie no then i'm gonna say yes it was a christmas movie because tell her santa claus comes at the end i told her it started snowing at the end <laughs> there you go there you go heat was released on december 15th 1995 it was directed by michael mann the screenplay by michael mann and it stars al pacino robert de niro tom sizemore Diane Venora, Amy Brenneman, Ashley Judd, Michael T. Williamson, Wes Studi, Ted Levine, John Voight, Val Kilmer, and a bunch of other people. Tom Sizemore. I feel like we've seen him in something recently. You know, I can't put my finger on it, but yeah, I feel like I've seen him uh, recently as well. Yeah. Professor, anything? No, uh, I I, I, get, I don't remember. All right. Well, sorry, Mr. Sizemore. Apparently, you were not that memorable. How well did this movie do? This movie was made for $60 million, and it brought in $187 million. So not too bad for Michael Mann. Um, was this the first movie that Al Pacino and De Niro were in together? Uh, I know they've done several since, but... They were in Godfather, but not in scenes together. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so this is the first time that they've appeared on screen together. Heat, 95. Do you, uh, did you see it in the theater, Professor? I think I did. I, I'm confident that I did. Yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this was your first time, right, John? This was my first time seeing it. Was it a gentle first time, or how, how did it go? It was hot. I felt the heat. Nice, nice. So I'm going to go ahead and go ahead and say you liked it. Because you can't badmouth anything after that, right? Well, you know, I'll, I'll talk it up and then give it a bad rating. Isn't that what I do? Oh, well, there you go. You know what? You are becoming so self-aware. I love it. But he actually does the, uh, the opposite just as much. You are quite cavalier about having a movie where you talk well of it and then you give it a poor rating. Equal opportunity. There you go. He's not prejudiced. He hates everybody. So I remember when this movie got announced. Right. We were going to get a movie with Robert De Niro and Al Pacino probably in their prime. This was a really big deal. This was super hyped up, right? And I remember seeing it opening weekend and spoiler alert, I didn't like the fucking ending. I didn't like it then and spoiler alert, I didn't like it now. However, that being said, I had probably seen uh Heat, I don't know, four or five times, you know, over the years. And when I watched it last night, I think that was the most I've enjoyed it uh, since it came out. You know, I guess I had a greater appreciation of the film. I knew more about Michael Mann. Um, you know, I'm just wiser in my movie years. So, yeah, I, I think I liked it better this time. I was really surprised that when I watched it for the first time, wait, you have the diner scene and then the end? That's the only time they're together? Only two scenes? Yeah, but those two scenes. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Something that I read that I watched for in this movie was, did you notice at no time do you have both of their faces on the screen at the same time? It's always cutting to one or the other. Yeah, actually, they are there at the beginning. 
at, at the beginning of the diner, they are both on the screen together. Are and, they? And at yeah. the end when they're holding hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, but I didn't think it doesn't, you see the back of their heads you or one of their heads. You don't see their full faces on the screen at the same time as what I'm saying. Well, you do. Even at the end when he's holding his hand, you're looking down you know, over one shoulder and then you're looking up the other shoulder. You're not seeing both of their faces. You know, I didn't, I don't, they think, don't do a side profile. Shot. I don't, I don't well, think that's, I ever that's the shot that that's the first shot we get at the diner. It's a side shot. Um, speaking of Michael Mann, are you guys familiar with, uh, his previous work prior to heat? I am last of the Mohicans. <laughs> Cause you just looked down and looked it I up. Totally R- cheated. Ronnie, you were going to say something. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm not that big of a movie buff. I didn't really recognize the name when when I started doing the research on this. So sure, tells a lot about me. The only place I knew him from was I was a diehard fan of Miami Vice, and that's all you needed to know. Yeah, right. Because there was a lot of little little bits of Miami Vice, in and this. just and just throwing Miami Vice out real quick. Did you see the movie? I did. Okay, that's another talk for another. That's time. what I was going to say. He did both the series and the movie. So which was better? Well, the movie has some moments to it. It does. It really does have some moments that so feel like Miami Vice. But could you ever replace Don Johnson and Philip Michael Thomas? I don't know. He he decided my whole 80s wardrobe, so that show. Who, Tubbs? That makes sense. Um, so other movies that Michael Mann directed, uh, we have uh, Miami Vice. Uh, that was in 06. 04 was Collateral. 01 was Ali. No, Will uh-huh. Smith. And then 99 was The Insider. 95 is Heat. 92 is uh, Last of the Mohicans. Have you seen any of those? I love The Last of the Mohicans. Really? I love it. Just have you ever seen Last of the Mohicans? I've seen Last of the Mohicans. Have I, you really? I, I have not seen any of the other movies. No. Even Miami Vice. I watched some of the series, but I did not. VHS for Last of the Mohicans. So Michael Mann also wrote this movie as well. I did not... I did not look that closely at the writing credits, but yeah, Michael Manning wrote this as well. Yeah. Uh, from the, from the get go, it feels very Miami vice. You know what I mean? And it has the same tone, the same feel and, uh, the score very reminiscent. The, the very last tune at the very end of heat is Mm -hmm. very, very reminiscent to the very last tune of the end of Miami vice. And that's what I was thinking through. And, and I dug it. So, I mean, can I tell tell you my only like, Big gripe with this movie? Yeah, go ahead. It needed more Trejo. Well, I think everything needs more Trejo, right? Wasn't that hilarious that that was his character's name? Yeah. yeah. That's just lazy writing. I guess he was hired because he had actually spent time in Folsom Prison. He was hired to come on and be a technical advisor. And when talking to Pacino and talking to De Niro about his experiences and things like that, they created the character for him and even named the character Trejo. Right on. Right on. I mean, that's the kind of pool he has, you know. So let's talk about this cast a little bit. Which one of these other actors spent some time in prison? Uh, I believe it was... One of them spent a lot of time in prison after the movie. Well, Tom, Tom Sizemore is one of them. I was and- in particular talking about Kevin Gage. Kevin Gage, he plays Wayne Grow. Mm-hmm. Wayne Grow is uh, the character's name, but uh, he was uh, part of a business that uh, was selling uh, medical marijuana at the time. City of San Francisco says it's legal, and the state of California was a little more nebulous. The federal government government said, no, it's not. And so he spent 
two years in a minimum security prison where everybody called him Wangro. God, he was a great creepy bad guy. He was. He, uh, he well, I have a whole problem with the Wangro character to begin with, but we'll get there. Yeah. yeah. Ronnie, did you have a favorite character in the, or actor in this movie? Well, I, I love Val Kilmer and his character, Chris. Um, there's just there's just something about him. Maybe it's because I just watched a documentary on him not too long ago. But Oh, uh, his uh, VHS and, and video camcorder y- stuff? Yeah, that one. Yeah. How was that? I liked it because uh, I hadn't seen him in anything for the longest time. And then I saw, you know, this documentary out there and I was like, mm-hmm. well, I want to know what, what happened to this guy. And so I watched it and uh, yeah, I, I really liked that. And, and Valkyrie, I, th- I just think he's a, an awesome guy. Well, just so you know, his name is in the credits as Iceman in Maverick. Oh, it is? Yes, it is. Huh. Yeah. Didn't know that. Favorite Val Kilmer movie? Um, real genius, maybe. That that was gonna be my pick. So good, so good. I think that's I think that's peak Val Kilmer. I'm not a huge top fan. Secret? Top Secret's great too, but I think uh, Real Genius is just a little bit more funny. But there's one other one. Is there? Yeah, I'm your Huckleberry. Yeah. Oh come on! Oh man. wow! Yeah. Oh yeah! I missed the fucking boat on that one, didn't I? I? Thought you were gonna say the Batman movie. Do you have one, Ronnie? Oh, I, I gotta go with. Uh, uh, Huckleberry. I mean that that line that almost made it for me just alone. Yeah. yeah. Uh, favorite Al Pacino movie. Maybe I should only ask the professor. Favorite uh, Al Pacino movie. I, I got one. The first you one, do. The first it one better not be Dick Tracy. First one that comes to mind is uh, Scent of a Woman. I, I liked him in Scent of a Woman. Yeah. Yeah. Ronnie. I, I actually would say uh, Heat. Heat. Yeah, I really like him in Fucking it. Fucking top choice for sure. Definitely in my top three. John. When he played uh, the devil. Oh, devil's advocate. Dude, devil's don't advocate. give him the name. Yeah, I'm saying the one with Keanu Reeves. Right, but you devil. didn't you didn't remember the name of the movie. You were looking for it. Devil's advocate. Because he gave it to you. <laughs> he just, you know, he, he helped me along. But uh, yeah. Another another great choice. Absolutely. I am Godfather. I, Scent part, of a woman. No, Godfather two mm-hmm. probably because mm-hmm. it's more him. Yeah, and he he is becoming who he becomes. Did so, you yeah. ever see Scent of a Woman? Oh Hurrah! yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, uh, favorite De Niro movie. You know what we're good gonna fellas. go, Okay, good fellas. Um, I forget, I forget the title of it. The um, Vietnam one. What's what the name of it? Deer Hunter. Yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah. Solid choice. Solid choice. Awakenings with Robin Williams. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Good, good, good. You? Oh fuck me. Um, God, I don't even heat. I, Maybe, maybe he is but, so slick in oh this. Oh my god, dude. he like, is he, so tight. His, his character, and when he comes on screen, yeah, yeah, it's good shit. No, but I am probably gonna have to say Goodfellas as well. You know what I mean? You know, so. now that I'm thinking about it, I might have to go back to the beginning. Taxi trap, taxi driver. Oh, oh my god, another solid choice. Yeah, yeah. see, Robert De Niro just has so many. Um, so yeah, this uh cast. Uh, was put together by Michael Mann, and you know, for for what they were trying to achieve, I thought they did a really good job. You know, and then we got some actors who we know now, but didn't necessarily know back then. Um, you got Bubba Gump. Bubba Gump was in it. Uh, Natalie Bub- Portman. How young was she in this? Natalie movie? Portman was in it, um, and Buffalo Bill. So, yeah, t- Ted Levine. Yeah, yeah, and uh, for a few minutes, you had Jeremy Levin. Yep. 
Yep, yep. Uh, John Voight. You right. know his his role was small, but you know pretty, pretty important. He Tone Loke, yep. Uh, John Voight originally didn't want to do the movie, yeah. But Michael Mann said, "I've always wanted to make a movie with you in it. Please, please do this." And, and so, he said, "Okay." He said, oh, yeah. "Sure, okay." Yeah, that's fucking awesome. That's a great story. Did this come out before or after the one with uh, Natalie Portman in where she did with um, oh the, Reno the, guy. the professional? Yeah, the professional. It was just one before or after. She was twelve when she did the professional. I think this came out after. That's that's right. She looked too. a little older. I was gonna say maybe 92 i gotta ask you guys a question regarding this movie i know i'm getting the impression that the three of you just love this movie um what did you think of all the sub stories and were they necessary to the movie or should the movie have focused more on the scores the heist you know the crime part of it oh that is a whole whole conversation i think we get into as we how about this? this because i have a lot of thoughts well, about what you just said well i just overall i just felt like this movie went off on so many directions that i kept trying to follow okay i'm trying to follow that story i'm trying to follow this story so i sometimes i felt like the sub stories kind of took away from a little bit of the movie you know i didn't need to know that chris had a gambling problem it was he was having problems with his relationship you know tom sizemore has got this issue you know these people have this issue natalie portman's got a you know dad who's not around all the time i didn't need to feel like i needed to know all that I guess a simpler way to put it is, did the movie feel too long? See, I didn't feel at all that it was too long. What do you think, John? Did the movie feel too long? Well, again, you guys all rented it, and I watched it on Pluto, which I had, I think, eight or nine commercials every five minutes. So, yeah, the movie felt long to me, um, but even without the commercials, I could have done without some of the sub-stories. I think that kind of made it drag a little bit for me, but everything else in the movie was, was amazing. John, or I'm sorry, Don. Yes, 100% yes, way too long. Because if a movie is anything more than 91 minutes, it's a little long. How long was this movie? Two hours, hours and 50, 50 minutes. minutes. See, yeah. I, th I thought that it had a couple of uh, lulls where I was like, you know, it was not all that action, but I was never bored watching it there was never a time where i was like okay you know it'd be nice if you'd kind of catch up with you know what's going on and move on um uh, i never felt that way i was just i just enjoyed it um immensely actually watching it the second time sure and and that's the thing about movies everybody uh, accepts them differently because this movie is fucking loved by millions and millions of people i mean this is people's number one movie of all time and i'll think about that while i'm watching a movie or specifically this movie and i can see why but you know sometimes it's just not my taste right you know so um yeah fucking good for you i'm glad that you fucking love this movie the one thing that i kept thinking with all these side stories and knowing the fact that you know man had done miami vice it felt like this was an actual TV series all shrunk into one where we got to learn all the side stories of all the characters so that you tried to connect with all the characters because they all had a plot line of their own. Uh, there are times in this movie that it does fucking drag. I will fucking agree with you 100% on that. Um, but, you know, overall for what it is, it's, it's not horrible. Hey, Don, I would like to say something. And now it's time for John's... moment so relating back to something we started with you know saving private ryan of how that movie kind of related to lord of the rings 
I had to look at this movie too and see, you know what? It does have connections. Lord of the Rings draws from like everything, or should I say everything draws from Lord of the Rings. You know, in this case, you know, I felt like Pacino's team, you know, his his police team, they were kind of like the fellowship and, and they were on a mission to destroy the precious, which was stopping De Niro. De Niro was their precious. It was their obsession. And in the end, he cast, you know, the ring into Mount Doom when he shot De Niro. Uh, I'm going to say that's a, that, that's a stretch, bud. That's a stretch. So, Nerd. Uh, so on, a, uh, on, a, on a grading scale, solid C+. What do you give him? Oh, I was right there with you. I was thinking C minus. Ronnie, what do you give him? Well, he is my friend, but yeah, C. Yeah. You you have seen Lord of the Rings, yes? Yeah. Of course. Okay. Just making sure. Just yeah. making sure. All right. Yes, so I'm just continuing to prove that every movie has a connection to Lord of the Rings. So we'll see how next week's movie does. And that was John's. Moment. Neil McCulley is a professional thief based in Los Angeles. He and his crew, Chris Michael Trejo, and a newly hired hand, Wingro, rob $1.6 million in bearer bonds from an armored car. During the heist, Wingro impulsively kills a guard. A second guard is killed by McCulley when he attempts to pull out his concealed weapon. McCulley orders the last guard to be eliminated by Chris, so as not to leave any witnesses. Macaulay is angry with Wangro and the crew prepared to kill him, but Wangro escapes. The robbery is investigated by LAPD Lieutenant Vincent Hanna and his team. Hanna, a dedicated lawman and former Marine, has a strained relationship with his third wife, Justine, and struggles to connect with his mentally unstable stepdaughter, Lauren. Macaulay follows a code. Allow nothing in your life that you cannot walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you spot the heat around the corner. He begins a relationship with Edie, a graphic design artist. So let's talk about how this opening comes about. We have Neil on uh, mass transit and he comes in on, on, on the train and then he goes into the hospital. As he comes into the hospital and he's walking through the hospital, I was struck by the hyper uh, awareness of all of the sounds that was happening throughout the hospital as he walked through and all of that hyper sound told me that he is hyper aware of his senses and he's and he is like hawkishly focused on everything that he is doing right now as he moves forward and i was really struck by that and then he's only in there for just a moment and then he steals the ambulance yeah one thing i noticed and kind of what you're talking about exactly professor with the hyper awareness is he looked like he's always looking for a way out a quick way to get out of any situation sure sure yeah i um i read that they're supposed to um, have been Marines, both him and Hannah. And I know that, you know, it's a military thing that, you know, when you go into a building, you always look for the nearest exit because you want to know how to get out and get out quick. Yeah, absolutely. This is a great introduction to Robert De Niro because not only does he look badass in anything he does, but, you know, just him walking down that steps, looking around, going through the hospital, looking around. And then, you know, as soon as he, as soon as you see, uh, the uniform he's wearing, you're thinking, oh, he's going to steal a fucking ambulance because they need a getaway. I mean, it's fucking perfect, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, we are. We meet Chris and Chris is making his purchase with cash, but he's showing ID for a cash purchase. Hmm. What's that 
for? Because I'm pretty sure you just can't go into your local 7-Eleven and buy explosives. Exactly. It's like, uh. yeah. So they're setting us up. They're they're uh, Michael Mann's letting us know that uh, we're about to experience a job. A job is about to go down. Right. What do you think of Val Kilmer with a ponytail? I did not like his hair. Uh, his character kind of annoyed me, but um, yeah, that was a bad hairpiece. Near the end of the movie, uh, when they're getting up, getting set to do the next job, it looked like he had cut the ponytail, and I got all excited, and there it was again. There it was again, yeah. It distracted you? Yeah, I, I, I he just cannot rock a ponytail. Careful what you say, though, because your buddy over there, Ronnie, loves him some Val Kilmer, so you know what? Apologize to him for well, insulting well, well, Val Kilmer. Actually, when, when he stepped out of of the car at uh, the apartment in the end, I thought it also that, that it was gone. And I was like, thank you. And then, <laughs> and, then it, and then it wasn't. Oh, at the end, oh, at the end it's gone. Oh, oh, it? oh, the right way. Yeah. I wasn't sure. Cause it looked almost like he had yeah. tucked it in. Oh yeah. I no, think, it was gone. No, it was gone. It, it was, was cut. Gone. So, so it was cut and colored. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. He had to fucking make an escape. Well, he was about to become Batman. So that's probably why he wore the wig, but and, who knows? And then after this, now we meet Vincent. Oh, so briefly. He's he's with the wife, and then after Vincent, then we meet his daughter, and then after that, we meet Wayne Grow. Wayne Grow. What'd you guys think of Wayne Grow? He was a bad motherfucker. Yeah, he was yeah. creepy. He's creepy as fuck. But you know, with the twinkle in his eye and the shaggy hair, and he's a bad guy. Man, he just seeds evil. Yeah, and we see him because he's getting some coffee, and Tom Sizemore's Michael rolls up in a garbage truck. And they, he gets in and he starts trying to make, was it a tow truck? Yeah. It was a big fucking tow truck. Yeah. Uh, It was green. So I just assumed it was a garbage truck. But we, we get the impression from their discussion. It's revealed right away that he's brand new on the job, brand new on the team. Right. And he's trying to make some uh, small talk talk with uh, Michael and he's not having it. So it's just. Don't talk. Yep. Just uh, eyes on the price. Right. Uh, And then, so. And then we meet Treo. And he's following the armored car. Uh. Uh, using the walkie-talkie talking to uh, the crew, you know, and so they have everything down, timing, everything's good to go, and then it fucking happens. They put their hockey masks on and take that take that armored truck down. Wow. Yeah. Did, did, yeah. You, did, catch- did you notice that all of the guys who are wearing white hockey masks die, and oh. the only one that uh, is wearing a black hockey mask lives? Irony. I yeah. was just about to bring that up because that felt like a little bit of foreshadowing. Yeah, totally, that, totally that they, could have. That they put the black mask on the person that lives. Yeah. yeah. Didn't even notice that. There, there's one other aspect that I found uh, very compelling that we have Wayne Grow with black eye holes. Everybody else, you are able to see their eyes, but Wayne Grow, it is just black and he is death. The yeah. one thing I read was. His mask was supposed to be representative of closer to like a Friday the 13th Jason mask because he's a killer. So you're absolutely right, Professor. I'm glad you picked up on that. So they, uh, the armored car's coming, and this is the takedown. They use the tow truck to hit it. They all rush out. They use the explosives to open the door. And Was looking that for a, a fucking sexy shot? Which one? Where it blows all the car windows out? Where it blows the car windows out. That was a fucking sexy shot. So I'm watching it down here, right? And as the tow truck is ramping up to speed, it starts on the left side of my room and it goes all the way to the right. And then when it gets to Fuck the- Fuck me. That is awesome. And when, it, when the glass blows out, 
you can hear the glass go that way. It was fucking incredible. You have the glass go from front to the back. Yeah. Well, well, put that motherfucker on. Let's watch it. I want to see that. No, I bet you do, Pluto boy. Yeah, I think I I was already in my third or fourth set of commercials by now. (laughs) The only thing that would have made this so much better, John, is if you said, and I watched it on my phone. So completely (laughs) ruining. Because he totally would have. Oh, I know he would have. I know he would have. Um, Guilty. Yeah, and, and and this this shows the cold professionalism of this crew, the the precision, and the efficiency, and oh my gosh, they are a well oiled machine. Yeah, the call comes in and you hear them saying three minutes, and then the time uh, clocks run in, and they're looking for something specific. They're looking for bear bonds, mm-hmm. and uh, they make out with it. And on their way out, uh, Wayne Grove starts fucking with a guard and you know this is going to go south yeah, real quick you, you right? knew he had murder on his mind look right. at that shit coming out of his ears asshole that's such he a can't great hear line. yeah such a great line um but he fucking shoots the guard anyway kills him and then one of the other guards goes for his holster and de niro has no choice you know has to put him down and yeah, then chris looks for uh, approval from neil do i kill the last one right because he starts to run off but they stop him and yeah yeah he, he no 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 witnesses i like how pacino put it later on that you know you've already killed one cop you might as well just kill them all because it's still the same crime sure what did you think about this opening there ronnie i i loved it um watching it i i had actually kind of forgotten about that that whole scene and so watching it again um i was i think i was just as blown away as i was when i saw it at uh age 23 yeah yeah it's it it's one of the most dynamic openings uh in a movie and you know i said it last week i've said it again and again and again and i'll say it one more time just for john if a movie grabs you in the opening and can make you uh invest then it's a great fucking movie so and And I agree 100% because this movie does really grab you with that beginning. You know, it really kind of builds up to that whole heist with the armored car. And the only thing, like I said, you know, then we all start getting all the little side stories and then kind of deflates it a little bit. And then it tries to bring you back in and deflates it again. So I wish the movie had just stuck to these scenes like this and the the whole buildup to these kind of scenes. So uh, after the heist, they get in the car and they're driving away and Wayne Grove's making excuses, right? Uh, we, I had to do it. He was making a move. He was making a move. And you know, fucking De Niro is pissed, right? And so they all go out and they get uh, dinner and they're all sitting at the diner. And I love this scene when De Niro walks in, doesn't say anything, sits down and just slams his fucking head into the table. And then all the patrons look the and then Tom Sizemore looks and gives him that look. He's just stone cold. He just fucking leans great out. moment. He leans out to look at the next booth over. What are you looking at? Yeah. But he doesn't even have he to say it. Say, it's That's in his right. eyes. It's all in his eyes. It's Absolutely. fucking great shot. Great shot. And I feel like this is something that you'd see every day in New York. But they weren't in New York. I know, but it just feels like a New York diner scene. Oh, kind of. I kind of. And uh, it doesn't is it doesn't one of them is it Chris that gets up from his seat his seat and leaves it for for uh, Neil to actually sit down because he knows you know yeah he's gonna want to sit here because yeah Chris leaves and then we have um, Michael sit at the counter right. and then and then Michael sits and Neil sits down and then he and then Michael sits down again right 
Right. And because they're setting it up and and De Niro doesn't mix words. He just says, let's pay this fucking guy because you're I'm done with it. They get up and they leave. I, and it's in the car. It's in the car. The, did, the, the split is in the car. Did you see the murder attempt? Oh, 100 percent. I mean, De Niro's not putting up with any shit. Uh, but I love the bit where they open the trunk. Did you guys notice the trunk? Yes. How yes. neatly it was taped with all the that, plastic. Trejo. That's the moment I knew that they were going to off this guy. He was he was a dead motherfucker. Right. Okay, so this is the point in the movie where I come to my first fucking beef. How the fuck does he get away? Yeah. The distraction with the cop car. Oh, fuck off, movie convenience. He's laying right in fucking front of you. You have your gun on him. Why would you even look away? That's what your crew is for, right? The the crew said, cop, don't do it. Well, I I get that 100%, but even through your peripheral vision, you don't hear him roll away. You don't hear him get away. How the fuck does he get away? Anybody? He's slippery. He climbed under a car and scooted away. Yeah, well, this is the first time in this movie where I'm going to call bullshit. And unfortunately plot convenience sorry ronnie I, it's I not agree. gonna be the last well, I, I actually agree i i was that was kind of like yeah that that doesn't seem ronnie how do you say bullshit in danish lord lord what what's that translate into well shit shit okay yeah how There's do you th- say fuck in danish is there a danish word for fuck yeah, but, but, but I don't think not so much in the sense that you're using it like, right now. <laughs> like, fuck that guy. In more of the traditional sense? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, interesting. Well, teach me that one too then. <laughs> so basically you said, Lord, when you saw that scene. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. It was bullshit. Can we talk a little bit about Hannah? Vincent showing up to the crime scene. Let's jump right into this because you know what? Al Pacino... After Son of a Woman, he kind of had this gravitas to him. Uh, he just won the Oscar, and he was bigger in life. I thought in moments of this film, he was kind of overacting a little bit. But I think in the spirit of the character of Hannah, I think it works. And it shows in this opening scene when he comes in, and he's uh, looking at the crime scene. Right. And he's telling them uh, all his uh, all the people that work for him are kind of hanging on his every word. And then he'll and then he walks them through, you know, how the guys did it. And, you know, what does he say? He goes, they are slick. They are good. Right. So he immediately understands who he's dealing with. Yeah. A hundred percent. And and we get the we get the sense of his character has been doing this for a long time because we know that he's on his third marriage. You know, um, he eats, breathes, sleeps, shits the job. And, um, you know, we know what we're dealing with. And he's he is that attack dog that is not going to stop, you know, which is such a good match for De Niro's character. You also get the impression that everything he's seen and been a part of and, you know, is keeping from, you know, his wives, you know, past wives and everything is just kind of destroyed him inside to the point where he, you know, he can't have a healthy relationship because of it. You know, he said, like he says, you know, I'm not going to come home and tell you everything that's going on because it's just too crazy. Yeah. Now here's something I'm going to say, and it's probably going to piss you off. One of the things that I appreciated about this movie is De Niro and Pacino's characters are like complete opposites. Um, in the way of, you know, I felt like Pacino, as you said, kind of overacts in this movie. And that's kind of his role. That's his, his character. I'm sure that's why he was hired. He overacts everything, every bit of dialogue he says. It's just a shouting. He gets it out. I felt like De Niro underacted in this movie. 
that he was always just calm and reserved. And it, and honestly, I didn't feel like this was one of you know my most impressive De Niro roles just because he didn't seem to really overact or do any kind of, he just was mellow the whole movie. That doesn't piss me off. Okay. So I, I want you to know that. I thought, De but, Niro I, but I also, underacting. But, I, but, but I also want you to know that yes, it doesn't piss me off, but however you are wrong. So De Niro's mellow demeanor is menacing. And he says so much without even having to say anything. The bit where he meets Edie, you know, which happens right after all of this, he's sitting at the counter and she comes up to start a conversation and her second after her second question. Yeah. Look, lady, why, why do you care so much what I do and what I'm reading? You know, and it's just so it, it was great. I don't think he was underacting at all. <laughs> I, I, See? I, I, I always uh, during the movie, I, I felt like it was because he was just that much in control of himself and his life and, and that much of a professional at, at what he was doing that, you know, that's that's just who he is, just this calm, mellow dude. Yeah, 100%. And for him to be questioning Edie makes perfect sense. He doesn't know if she's an undercover cop, if she's been watching him for months, you know. And so he does what he says never to do, and he lets his guard down, you know. And so this is where we get Edie and Neil's, uh, the beginning of their relationship. Macaulay's fence, Nate, suggests he sell the stolen bonds back to their original owner, Money launderer, Roger Van Zant. Van Zant agrees, but is angered by the theft and instructs his men to ambush and murder Macaulay. Macaulay and his crew, anticipating a trap, counter ambush and kills the hitman. And Macaulay vows to kill Van Zant. Wayne Gro murders a child prostitute. Hannah's team investigates and they discover evidence on this girl that was found on other recent murdered child prostitutes. This girl being the most recent of Wangro's victims. An informant of the LAPD connects Michael to the robbery, and Hannah's team begins monitoring him, leading them to the rest of the crew and their next target, a precious metals depository. Hannah's team stakes out the depository, but when a careless officer makes a noise, McCulley and his crew walk off the job. So this is where we get to meet Nate, uh, played by John Voight, and he is uh, Neil's f uh, fence, and we assume that they're friends, you know, if, if you can have such in uh, this lifestyle. Uh, what did you guys think of John Voight? I loved his mustache. I thought he was the fence extraordinaire. Yeah. His, his reach that he has for his information and how he's able to offload things. Yeah, he was impressive. But he, he didn't have a great idea on how to offload those bonds. In theory, it should have worked just fine. It should yeah. have. I mean, what we didn't account or what he didn't take into account is Van Zant's ego. So, yeah. What did you think of John Voight there, Ronnie? I uh, I loved him very much in this movie. Uh, I I loved. I just love that character. Um, he's he's he does it really really good. I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And this is where we are also introduced to uh, Roger Van Zant, played by William Fickner. I thought he was a great uh, sleazy weasel. Weasel. He plays that role really good. Um, you, saw, you saw who his sidekick was. Henry Rollins. Yeah. Uh, he looked weird with dark hair mm -hmm. and with hair, actually. I've got beef with Henry Rollins. Why is that? Personal beef. Why is that? 
I used to work at, when I was attending the University of Washington in their arts and entertainment department. And one of the things that we would do is we put on, you know, help put on these performances, invite people in. Um, he was invited in to do like a speaking engagement where he would stand up and do this kind of poetry type stuff that he did. And for some reason, whoever was supposed to sell his merch didn't show up that night. So they came to me as a volunteer doing this for free, asked me to sell his merch that night. So I said, sure, I'll do it, but I have one request. And I asked his manager, I said, can I just get an autograph with him by you know the end of the show? The guy said, sure, absolutely. Henry loves doing that kind of thing. He will do an autograph for you, no problem. So it's like two and a half hours. I'm selling his merch, doing really well, making him a lot of money. Show ends. You know, I'm waiting for everybody to clear out. His manager comes out with Henry Rollins. And they ask, you know, how much do we make? And I give him all the money and all the receipts and everything. And I asked, so um, can I get that autograph? Henry Rollins looked at me and goes, no, fuck you. And I was like, well, the manager said I could have an autograph. And the guy looked at me and said, I never said that. What a fucking dick. I thought he was a complete dick. So, you know, I love the fact that you threw his manager under the bus faster than anyone could fucking blink. Well, I just said the guy said, I know you fucking, you fucking threw him under the bus. I I love it. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah. So ever since then, I have not been a Henry Rollins fan. And I got to tell you the truth. I'm not a huge Henry Rollins fan either. So, so Van Zant tells his bodyguard to take care of Macaulay and the crew. And they meet at this, uh, deserted, uh, drive-in. What'd you guys think of this scene? nice right yeah and you and you knew that de niro wasn't going to show up just to I, show up i right? kept thinking where's the sniper where's somebody with a gun totally right and it works out you know and uh it turns out that uh van zant fucks them and gives them a bag full of just paper but this is also where we kind of get to see uh neil's uh weakness has basically hit the chink in his armor you know he's so detached from everything and everyone in the beginning of this movie but he has a sense of revenge so now we get to find out uh that wangro got away and he's with this prostitute and he kills her and then we are introduced to a serial killer plot line which goes nowhere i didn't understand the introduction of i mean was this just to make us dislike him more we already we knew he had issues he was a murderer he's a cop killer why did we need this subplot of him being a serial killer as well i wish i could answer that question for you however this is uh another beef i have with this movie is this plot line makes no sense um i don't understand it i don't know why we even needed it and it just put in more time to a film that I felt was already too long. Ronnie, what did you think of the subplot? Well, I kind of agree that it, it wasn't really necessary, but I, I still kind of like that scene because it showed how evil Wayne Girl really is because the way that he told her that she pretty much was going to die, it, it, just that evil look in his face, uh, it, to me, that it just showed, yeah, yeah, this really, really is a bad guy. He called himself the Grim Reaper. Yeah. 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 And he had a big old swastika on his chest and he's just a piece of shit. Right. So again, none of this happens if Neil doesn't fucking take his eyes off the prize. Professor, what do you think of this subplot? I was indifferent towards it. We get to see a little bit of Al Pacino's uh, Vincent being a sympathetic character that he is on the side of right and good 
And it's just one little example about how he is a driven police officer wanting to do the right thing. We, we, we get to hear him say that a little bit and as he tries to console, console the mother. I would like to point out immediately before this scene when um, the crew is out to dinner and as they leave the restaurant, turns out they're being surviled up on the building. All of Vincent's uh, team is up there and they're looking down. Why the fuck don't they have any cameras? No binoculars. They're just sitting up there looking. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. So they are, they're able to track De Niro's team because Hannah goes to his informant and his informant introduces him to his brother, which is played by Tone Loke. And this is, he hears the word slick. Yeah. And that maybe is another beef I have. It's a I mean, stretch. It, I mean, yeah, it really is a stretch. Yeah. It, it seems really out there. How does it get a hit in the FBI database? So now they are all under surveillance and, um, why go out to dinner and, I mean, aren't you guys supposed to be well, keeping it a low profile? Uh, I think the reason why we have this dinner scene is an attempt to humanize these characters. The antagonist of the movie in the end is somebody that we don't necessarily feel all that horrible towards. How is it that we can watch this person be so ruthless, kill several people, and yet we do have some sort of empathy, not necessarily, but we do not think that these are horrible people. We get to see them having a little bit of normalcy, that they're not just these two-dimensional, flat bad guys. And this also gives us a chance to see that De Niro's character is longing for something. Yes. And they make it a point yes. to hold on his face, and you can tell what he's thinking, and so he goes to call Edie. Booty call. And, you know, they uh, they hook up again. So I have to disagree with you, Professor. You talked about having empathy for these characters. At no time did I feel any empathy for these characters. The only people I felt sad for or for bad, bad for was the women in their lives. Because they all, these guys are all just pieces of shit. You know, they're cop killers. They don't care who gets caught in the crossfire. They don't care who they hurt. The way they, even Hannah's character, the way he talks to his wife, uh, they're all just horrible, horrible people. Whatever reasons they have in their life, I did not feel bonded or empathy for any one of them. But that's why I think it was put in there. Mm. And I don't have empathy for the women either. You don't think so? They didn't seem like they were pretty much victimized in this whole movie? Right, because someone held a gun to their head and said, you better say I do. Charlene, someone, no, someone better had Someone held a gun to their head and said, you're staying. Charlene no. said, where's the rest of the cash? When right. Chris shows up, right? She's right. perfectly happy to have that cash in her hand. Yeah. They yeah. are fully aware of what their husbands are doing. Don't right. They're all ready I, to leave. I think so too. Yeah, They're all ready so. to, they all have a foot out the door already. What about that glass of water that he leaves Evie? That nice little fold he puts around the glass. Is it so there's no water ring on the table or is it because he doesn't want to have any fingerprints left behind? I'm going to say it's a little bit of both. So now we come to the second job for this crew and they are going to go rob a depository of metal, you know, but they are uh, being watched by the LAPD. Uh, what'd you guys think of this scene? I, I just could not believe that Hannah didn't tear that police officer officer, a new one. Oh yeah. He was, he was really calm at the end. right? I mean, it's with all the out, outbursts uh, that he does have, through through this movie that he was as calm as he was when that happened 
that took me by surprise. Yeah, for sure. And did you notice that that officer was super fidgety from the very get-go? Yes, he, he was. He was making noise. He was drinking his water. And, and it, it makes perfect sense that he fell. He falls and, you know. Bangs makes, his gun against it, it, the side of the truck. Yeah. Knowing yeah. what they were doing there, he was being very unprofessional, that officer. Oh, for sure. For sure. So De Niro hears him, runs inside, tells Chris... Well, one thing I liked about the scene before he runs inside, and I love when De Niro comes out the door, kind of walks sideways, and then slinks into the dark. Yeah, he he disappears into the dark, and then you see him on the monitor, yeah. and he's in that negative view, Yeah, and he's just looking right at the camera. Specifically yeah. after the sound is made, yeah. then he is staring straight into the surveillance camera. Yeah, he knows. He, he knows. knows. And so he walks out, or he walks in, grabs him, and I love what he says. He goes, we've been made. Let's go. So they meet the next day and they decide to take a vote. Should we still try to do the bank job or not? And so this is a pivotal moment for the movie because if they chose not to, then they would have all gone off into their own little sunset, happy ending, if you will, right? This, I think this might be one of the first times or it might have been a little bit earlier on where De Niro has a line that he says several times throughout the movie and then totally changes things at the end of the movie which is says something along the lines the stretch is worth it which you know he's saying it's it's worth chancing going back to prison to get this score and then you know later on at the end when he said you know i think he says in the coffee area and he says it you know during the shootout of i told you i wasn't going back but yet he kept saying throughout the movie the stretch is worth it it's worth the stretch. It's worth the stretch. So that's why I said I felt very contradictory to me. There are a lot of questionable decisions by our characters, all of them in this film. Macaulay's crew agree to one last bank robbery worth $12.2 million. Hannah tracks Macaulay and pulls him over on the 105 freeway, inviting him for coffee. They discuss their dedication to their respective jobs and the limitations of their personal life. Anna describes his failing marriage, and Macaulay confides that he is similarly isolated. Though they admit their respect for one another, both acknowledge that they will kill the other if necessary. Wangro makes a deal with Van Zant to help eliminate Macaulay's crew. Trejo quits the bank robbery at the last moment, claiming the LAPD is following him too closely. Macaulay recruits an old colleague, Don, to take Trejo's place as the getaway driver, and the crew carries out the heist. Acting on a tip from Van Zandt's bodyguard, the LAPD intercepts the crew as they leave the bank, resulting in a massive shootout where Don and several officers are killed. Macaulay manages to escape with a wounded Chris. Michael attempts to flee, but is shot dead by Hannah. After leaving Chris with Nate, Macaulay arrives at Trejo's house to find him mortally wounded and his wife killed. Trejo reveals Wangro and Van Zandt's involvement before asking Macaulay to kill him. Macaulay breaks into Van Zant's mansion and shoots him dead. Upon learning of Macaulay's connection to Wangro and discovering that Wangro is hiding at a hotel, Hannah's unit decides to use him as bait to lure Macaulay. As Macaulay prepares to flee the country, Edie discovers his criminal identity but agrees to go with him. Before escaping, Chris attempts to reconcile with his wife Charlene who has been forced by the LAPD to bring in her husband. He encounters her at a hotel. She warns him away with a hand gesture, and he escapes. So after they plan to do this job, they have to start doing recon. And I think this is one of my favorite scenes uh, when they're in the shipyard. 
and uh, the crew is sitting there and they're making the plans. And I'm thinking to myself, why are they doing this out in the daytime in the public so everyone can see them? And where is the fucking bank? Well, my first thought is, what the fuck are they doing in a shipyard? And then I thought, oh, this is a setup. Yeah, completely a setup. And I, the my one of my favorite overacted lines by Al Pacino, and he says, uh, you know what they're looking at? They're looking at us, the LAPD. And he just starts taking a bow and clapping, and he acknowledges that, you know, De Niro's outsmarting him. We've just been made. We've just been made. And sure shit, De Niro's up in the fucking tower taking pictures. Yeah, I, this scene, again, this was a brilliant scene. This was great. Fit in the movie. Um, I just wish there was more of this type of scene. Ronnie, do you like the scene? Yeah, uh, I got to admit that I didn't realize that it was a setup until Al Pacino realized that it was a setup. Same. The first time I saw it, it's like, oh. Yeah. yeah. And that's a great moment, right? That's a great feeling when a movie can make you do that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think Al Pacino did a great job of that whole, you kind of see it on his face as he's going around trying to figure out, okay, why were they here? What were they looking at? And then you just see it dawn on him. Yep. The light goes on and he's like, fucking A. And just he just the smile. He's like, oh my God, they got me. So how does Hannah react to that? He takes a chopper and they start trailing uh, Neil. And Hannah lands in the middle of the fucking freeway, gets in a car and then starts tailing him, pulls him over and then asks him for a cup of coffee. What do you say I buy you a cup of coffee? And then De Niro just pauses, looks around, looks up at him and says, yeah, I can do that. Do you know what's special about this scene? Which scene? The whole coffee, uh, coffee diner scene. The entire scene is special. So you're going to have to be a little bit more specific than that. This is based off of a true story that inspired the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Mann knew uh, one of the thieves, the guy, he, the real Neil McCauley, actually. Yeah. So, yeah, I think this scene, the coffee scene was, is what everyone was waiting for. This is why you bought the ticket to, to watch this scene. So Mm -hmm. this is the scene that actually sold De Niro and Pacino on doing this movie. Sure. Absolutely. Um, so Ronnie, you saw it back in 95. The first time you saw this scene, what did you think? Well, I, I think that it, kind of struck me which i also read about doing research on it um that it the uh unfamiliarity with, with them you know like they i guess they you know like i think john mentioned it that they they're kind of you know the same guys just on the opposite side of the law and just seeing these two guys uh interact i i, I just thought that that whole scene was awesome it was freaking brilliant. You have two tips of the spear. They are both honed and so good at what they do. And they are meeting at the very tip and they are having a civil conversation. It's an eight minute shot that I totally love that it is two cameras over the shoulder and the cameras are just out of range. And it is just a slow pull in on each one of the characters. Uh, I heard that the cameras were a fourth of an inch from being in each other's frames. That's how close they were. I believe it. Yeah. Uh, this scene, I, I'm not going to ask you because this you don't appreciate De Niro or Pacino. So I got the, a lot so to say the, about this. So scene. the gravity 
probably didn't hit you. So you have a lot to say. Mm-hmm. Fuck, I'm all ears. What does a lot sound like? Well, first thing I wanted to bring up with this scene is you were talking about the way it was filmed. Uh, I read that the director actually, you know, he had the cameras over both of their shoulders. He let both cameras go at the same time because he just wanted to capture the conversation. He didn't want to do retakes he didn't want to just have one of them talk at a time he just captured the whole the whole scene and it just worked the thing that bothered me about this scene was um when pacino says he has respect for him and i can't see any police officer saying that to a guy first of all he knows he's a criminal and he knows that this guy has killed cops i cannot see a police officer saying to someone who's a cop killer i have respect for you okay so that that took, you know, otherwise I thought the scene was amazing. That's the only line that was delivered that I thought didn't make any sense to me. Uh, I almost felt like if scenes had or if the situation had been different, the fact that these two could sit and have a civil discussion and they almost seemed like they were friends at one point, or they could have been friends that they could have worked together, almost like you could see them doing a buddy buddy movie together as you know cops or criminals. Again, like I said, knowing both their, you know, the storylines of their, how they got to this point, some of that dialogue didn't make sense. Barbecues and ball games? Yeah. That's normal. Yeah. Um, For me, this is, uh, when you see it, this is two legends, two icons, really, sharing uh, screen time. And I never felt once that they were trying to up one another. I thought there was a mutual respect there for their talent and their craft, not only as the characters, but as the actors themselves. And I thought the dialogue was fucking spot on. Um, Kudos to Michael Mann for that dialogue. Absolutely. I I buy that uh, Hannah respects Neil to some degree uh, because nobody's perfect. Hannah's sure is shit is not uh, perfect. I would bet money that Hannah is a big old fucking coke freak. Uh, with all that energy, never sleeping, go, 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 go. I bet you he's on coke. But- so that, that's a compelling point because when we think about this character, we are seeing him so amped up and we don't see him necessarily doing anything bad copish. And because we don't see him doing anything bad copish, it's like, oh, I guess he's a good cop. But you have a compelling point. I think this goes down as one of the best scenes in a movie of all time if i had to oh no shit really? oh i love this scene this whole when he says it is epic you know when he says um and it's the last or not even the last bit was they're talking and uh hannah's like yeah well my life's a fucking disaster you know i'm on my third marriage everybody hates me you know um and then de niro opens up and they go back and forth and then they get back on topic yeah we've We've met face to face, but if it's between you and some, or you're going to make some poor bastard's wife a widow, I'm going to put you down. What does he say? Brother, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Fucking so powerful. And then De Niro, well, there's a flip side to that coin, right? And it's just so- Gives it right back. Gives it right back to him. And that's where they leave it, okay? You do you, I'll do me. We'll see what happens. Maybe we see each other. Maybe we don't. That's right. He says another compelling little point when he's talking about his reoccurring dream. The dreams. Yeah. Yeah. That he's drowning. And the drowning represents what? No time. No time. Yeah. Yeah. Need more time. Yeah. Great dialogue. Great dialogue. 
they set up for for the heist. They uh, they got they got to take out the security equipment so it shuts itself off twenty minutes before the uh, heist actually goes down. Earlier on, De Niro met with the inventor of the internet. Um, <laughs> did you guys catch that? He says, "Where did you get this information?" And he goes, "It's just out there, man. You just got to know how to grab it." When Trejo says that he can't do the job because he's being followed by the LAPD. Did you get that that wasn't the LAPD following him, that that was Van Zandt at that point? No, I don't I don't think they showed who was following him. Well, I got the feeling because, you know, he ends up, his wife being shot and him being mortally wounded and all that, that it was Van Zandt's people that were following Kelsey because they followed him back to the house right, but you where they attacked But him. you don't know that until after. That's what I'm thinking. So that's, I'm wondering if... It was the LAPD following him, or if it really just, he was thinking it was the LAPD and it was Van Zandt's people. Well, in the end, it had to be Van Zandt. That's what I'm thinking. Right, but you don't know that until nope. after they die. Mm-hmm. Right. See, um, see, I I felt that there wasn't anybody following him. And that's another point. Yeah. Continue. And, and that he just, he made that phone call just to, you know, get to where he was going and, and without anybody actually following him but that's what he needed uh neil to know that he was being followed and that that why was why he couldn't uh join in on on the heist interesting interesting perspective i, I never thought of it that way i knew it was either the cops or van zandt's people but someone was following him because i always took trejo as loyal yeah so i don't i don't think that he would in my mind i don't i didn't see him trying to fuck neil so mm-hmm. This brings up to another subplot in this, which is Don's story about just getting out of jail, taking on this crappy job, you know, his wife's so proud of him. Was that another, I mean, do we need that story or could they just say, found him in a diner and said, oh, that's an old colleague of mine. We need him to drive. Yeah, it it was one of those subplots again that just, it started to go somewhere but really didn't go anywhere and could you could you have cut it that way probably well i just thought that he was in there to uh show the tragedy of his story arc i did think it was powerful the scene with his i don't know if it was his wife or if his girlfriend at the end where she's watching it on tv and discovering that you know this guy that she was so proud of uh was killed during this heist yeah speaking of him being killed uh, we now are at the robbery and they're going to pull off this bank heist and they're so calm, cool, and collective when they walk into this bank for, uh, for the heist. what did you guys think of the heist scene? It felt like a real heist. I mean, they went in, I love how he explained that, you know, this money is insured that we're not stealing any of your money. We're just stealing the bank's money. So there's no reason to, you know, do anything that's going to cost you. I mean, it made sense. Yeah, for sure, Ronnie. I I actually didn't think when they went went in. I never thought that they were actually going to make it. Uh, I, I it just seemed like too big of a thing, even with the expertise that they have. It just seemed to me to be like too big of a thing. That this is there's no way this is going to work. In general, I was floored when I saw this for the first time. I could not believe I was slack jawed by the time it started to unfold. Once they were outside the bank. But I just dig the style and how this it starts. You have this, uh, you have this constant beat. The music, you know, it's just driving, just compels it, pushes it along, and then you see this ruthless efficiency inside the bank. And then once we get outside, oh boy, I shit my pants just about 
how quickly Chris just swings the gun up and starts firing immediately. Doesn't even hesitate. You know, he didn't stop at all. He just like, go. And then that was it. Holy moly. I could not believe I'm watching this gunfire happening on a downtown city street. And the sound of those gunshots. Holy moly. So deafening. And it it had to be just like fucking crazy to think if you are inside that world and you have the Wild West happening outside these cars. And as it continues to go along, you know, the, the pace and the tempo continues to increase. The cuts are getting shorter and shorter. We continue with uh, Vincent as he runs up the street. You know, we are running with Vincent as he goes up the street and having this just you know, move along and it keeps going. And then watching Chris as he just swings forwards and backwards and forwards and backwards and, and motherfucker, he's just spraying that gun. He couldn't care less where those bullets are going. Fuck you. Yeah. Holy moly. And then to have him just be so ruthlessly efficient, which by the way is used as uh, a training guide. I think it's for, is it the Marines or somebody like that? This is the proper way that you reload your weapon when you are under fire. Yeah. Yeah. And Val Kilmer took that as a personal badge of honor that he did it so well that he is used as an example. Absolutely. Did you know that although the gunfire uh, was not enhanced or re-recorded, uh, Michael Mann shot all of that for real. He put microphones all over the the set. And so what you hear are real gunshots. I mean, that's there. there's no mix there. Did you hear how they did the cars? Uh, which ones? Uh, the cars that get shot up during that scene. Uh-uh. Basically, what they did was they took all those vehicles to a firing range and actually shot up all the cars. That's awesome. Then bonded them all to cover up all the shots and put in those little explosives. Squibs. Squibs. So that it was actual, those were real bullet holes in that, those cars. That's fucking awesome. Now, one thing about this scene that I, I, you know, the first thing that hit me with this bank robbery scene was it was just three of them in that bank. And I kept thinking that is too big of a job for just three guys. I'm like, what were they thinking? And then when they come out, did you catch during that scene that the bad guys were using the automatic weapons? They were just spraying bullets, but the officers were just shooting one bullet at a time. And so I guess that was to represent that the bad guys didn't care who got caught in the crossfire, but the police did. So I thought that was a clever thing that Michael Mann thought of to put that in the movie to show the difference between the good guys and the bad guys. Oh, I'm sure that's super real to life. Mm -hmm. If if I'm a bad guy, I don't give a fuck about anybody. Yeah. Right. Um, Great scene. Here's where, here's another problem I had with it. So they walk in, they get the money and, you know, they pull out the big bags and they're carrying it all out. Uh, Sizemore gets out to the car first. De Niro gets out to the car what takes Chris so fucking long? Because he leaves the vault and Hannah hadn't even left the fucking station yet because of the editing, right? So I'm thinking to myself, they have to get away, right? And then uh, Kilmer keeps walking out and by the time he gets to the car, Hannah's running down the street. So, I mean, does was he taking baby steps? Did he stop and have a cappuccino? Why does it take Chris so long to get to the fucking car? I blame his ponytail. Good, good, good answer. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Uh, try not, try to unwatch that now, Ronnie, the next time you watch Heat. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think I even thought of that watching it. <laughs> but My you. gift to you, sir. Thank you. <laughs> when, you know, you're seeing, you know, Chris's character, as professor was saying, you know, he's spraying bullets this way and then he's turning around spraying bullets the other way. My first thought was, oh, they're fucked. This is the end of the movie. They're all going to die in this hail of bullets at this point. <laughs> Maybe De Niro might get out for some reason, but I thought, well, you got police on both sides. You got people shooting on both sides. How the hell were they going to get out of there? Uh, and which is, because uh, that's what I was thinking too, but they started to leapfrog each other. And I guess that's a, a standard tactic on how to get out of gunfire. But uh, as far as, uh-huh. the, as far as the movie being over, no, but you still had an hour and 40 minutes left. Yeah. At this point in the movie, I felt like we didn't have a reason to hate Michael, you know, Tom Sizemore's character until he grabbed that little girl. That's when we get to see, because earlier on he's portrayed as a family man, you know, a guy who's just doing it for the high he does you know he could get out at any time and he's just doing it for his family to get money money for his family no other issues he grabs that little girl and you're thinking he's got a family at home i just he gives a fuck about his family he just doesn't give a fuck about yours and that's what that's the moment i think that we realized we can hate him too but here's my question why isn't that kid freaking out if you watch it again, and I don't know if anyone will, that that kid has very uh, doesn't have any type of reaction. And then I'm thinking to myself, is Pacino going to shoot this fucker in the head, and is the bullet going to go right by that kid's uh, face? And this kid's going to watch this dude die, get a hole put into his head, and the kid's not even fucking crying. What the fuck? I thought maybe the kid was in shock. And then my thought was, oh, he's going to need a lot of therapy after this one. Well, fucking A. Could you imagine? Um, but yeah, I agree with you. He was a piece of shit for picking up that kid. But I guess deep down inside, he was always a piece of shit. And then right after he takes Michael down, he swings the rifle up. And we have an exhale. And we see the black, cold, dead eyes of Vincent. How much time has passed since the bank heist started? Uh, I don't know. Four minutes, five minutes, 17 seconds. <laughs> Any guesses? It, it feels like, I don't know, five, six minutes or so. Yeah, maybe five, 10 minutes, I'm thinking. 12 minutes. Oh, is that Jeez. what it was? 12 minutes. Wow. Yeah. And we do get to see that Vincent is indeed a good officer because as he's pursuing, as he's pursuing Neil, he chooses not to fire his weapon in the parking lot, you know, of the, of the grocery store, as well as after Neil starts backing away, he won't take the shot because there's too many people in front of him. And then he won't shoot at the car afterwards because there's oncoming traffic. So, okay. He's, he's, he's barely in control, but let's face it. These guys are amped up. Both of these characters are driven to extreme behavior now. Yeah. So Neil and Chris, they get away. Neil, uh, Neil drops Chris off with Nate, and now he's he wants to know who sold him out, right? It was uh, one of two people. It was Trejo or Van Zant, right? And so this is where he goes to Trejo's house, and this is where we see. I mean, this is a heartbreaking moment because you like yeah. Danny Trejo and anything he does, right? And I think my favorite Danny Trejo movie is From Dust Till Dawn. So he's laying on the ground and he's talking to him. And the first thing out of Trejo's mouth is where's Anna, right? And Neil's mm-hmm. like, she's dead, man. And so he t- Trejo tells him it was Van Zant. You know, you can't leave me like this. I'm not going to make it. Yep. And then. I, I appreciated that, you know, usually they come up with these, you know, great lines for people. 
And they kind of gave this a little bit of realistic feel in that he was like, well, what did you tell him? And he's like, I don't even know what I told him. Yeah, he doesn't remember. I mean, he's been he's been fucking beaten to death. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did the house look familiar? Professor? Yeah, it sure did. <laughs> what, was it? I don't know if it was the but house, boy, but when yeah. you see a house on stilts. Yeah. yeah. And if any of our listeners know what we are referencing, please let us know. So now Neil is... Uh, He's on the fucking move. He wants revenge. He's off so to Van Zant's. He goes to Van Zant's. And in the meantime, Hannah, I mean, he knows that uh, Neil will probably be gone in the next seven or eight hours. But, you know, so Hannah hits up Hugh Benny. And in the meantime, Neil is killing Van Zant. And I love the way he does it, right? He walks up to his mansion, picks up a chair, throws it through the window, just walks in and just fucking shoots him. Well, he asked him once. Yeah. Okay, why is he sitting there when he's been living out of his office for days? And, okay, he's on the run, and he's at home by himself, no security. Yeah, so now he feels safe? Stupid. I, I think we got the impression early on that he's a cocky motherfucker who took the threat seriously in the beginning, but he thought when he had spilled the beans, you know, on this whole bank, right, he thought he's dead he thought he's either arrested or dead by now oh yeah so he was scot-free and nobody was coming for him yep nope not the case wrong so so, uh neil kills him and then you know he is gonna go pick up Edie, and this is where Edie finds out that neil was responsible for uh the stuff that she's been seeing on the news you know so this is where i lost all respect for Edie. This is where I lumped her in with all the other bad people in the movie. That how long has this movie taken place over? Maybe a week, two weeks, three weeks? I don't know. She hasn't been with this guy long enough, yet she's willing to accept the fact that she's been dating a cop killer, a guy who would just spray bullets into just innocent people. And, you know, it takes her, what, 10 minutes to decide she's still going to run away with him? Yeah. I was surprised that she said yes the very first time that he asked her to go, because well, actually, like, like John said, how long had they known each other by then? Well, no, it took her like ten minutes, <laughs> ten whole minutes, probably. Well, it is Canero because he was saying please, and then he tries to kiss her, and she right tugs away. No, no. yeah, and then and then it's the next time it shows them talking. Then she says yes, right. But but that's pretty quick to you know after yeah. after have gotten to know someone to decide to yeah let's let's run off to a, another island and live there for the rest of our lives sure sure and it does say a lot about her character because de niro gives her an out he does he says if you want to go go you know i'm not going to force you i can't force you he, at least he has the wherewithal to do that i i actually think this is one of the very few movies i've ever watched where i was rooting for the bad guys well in particular neil at the end, I really, really wanted him to get away. So we come to find out that Wangro is hiding at a hotel by the airport, and uh, Macaulay gets the information. In the meantime, while this is going down, the LAPD has uh, taken Chris's wife into custody, mm-hmm. and they, you know, you're going to roll on your husband, or you're going to do time, and this, that, and the other, and she rolled on him pretty quick. What do you think of Hank Azera's character that, you know, he was kind of, 
you know, I'm I'm doing the lady with the great ass, as Al Pacino calls it. You know, you got the the lady with the great ass. That that line was ad libbed, and mm. Hank Azaria's reaction is complete shock because he didn't know Pacino was going to do that, and he wasn't he wasn't sure how to react. So that was fucking brilliant. I but, did like that. Line. But at the end, when he got gets her to come to the hotel to be with him, <laughs> he tells her to fuck off. <laughs> told her, he's just this Weasley guy who's like, yeah. ah, you're just a piece of ass anyway. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was pretty fucking funny. But I mean, can you blame the guy? I mean, because of her, he got all investigated by the cops and this, that, and the other, and that's fucked up. So now that Charlene has lured Chris to the apartment or hotel, whatever it is, he comes pulling up. We see that his hair's cut and he's changed his appearance. And when he gets out of the car, he has a, a look of like relief or happiness. You know, I mean, this is his wife, and I guess he still loves her, even though she doesn't love him, but she's going to give him one more chance, thanks to Neil. And, uh, Ashley Judd has a choice to make. She can either rat him out here and now, or she can warn him. And I think that, you know, at the end of the day, no matter how bad these two were or are, I think it's at some point in their lives that they loved each other. Right. And she really didn't want to see him take a fall. So she warns him. And just that slightest movement of her hand lets him know, and you can see it on his face. And I think outside of Real Genius and Tombstone, this might be Val Kilmer's best scene because of his facial expressions. And just you could literally see his heart breaking on his face. And, you know, he's got to turn and leave. Yeah. Uh, Jill, Jill, she asked me, um, uh, about the movie, what what it was about the movie that I liked so much before before we watched it, and I said I told her, well, there's this shootout uh, in it that was just awesome, and then there's this other scene where Chris Val Kilmer's character uh, comes up to his apartment, you know, thinks he's going to be with his uh, his wife, and it turns out that he's not, and that you know he steps out of a car, she does this hand movement. To kind of tell him, you know, this is not good. You got to go. And that he, you know, it takes him a, a while to kind of, before he realizes what's going on. And I believe she actually does the wave twice, doesn't she? No, once. Just once. You know, just once. Yeah. But, but you know, it takes him a while before he realizes. And then, you know, turns around, asks these guys that's, that's staying, standing right next to him a, a question about where he can rent an apartment or something like that. And then he gets back in the car and he just drives off. And I remember at age 23 or 24 watching it the first time that that broke my heart and when we watched it a couple of days ago i i felt exactly the same it, yeah. it's such an awesome scene i really scene. thought chris was screwed i really thought he was going to get arrested here okay <clears throat> this brings me to yet another beef i have with this movie how the fuck does he get away you don't have his i mean you've been surveillancing him for months you don't have his fucking picture well they don't you use don't, cameras you remember don't, well, apparently not, because this motherfucker colored and cut his hair. That's it. Okay, it might throw you off for a second, but if you have a picture and you're looking for him and you are expecting him... Why don't you have a picture? How the fuck does he get away? I'll tell you what I loved about this is the, uh, the, the camera shot that we get from the balcony, and then it swings past one of the police officers and then it comes down to the street and then we track Chris's car as it pulls up to the front of the place. So beautifully done. Yeah. And then we have Drucker on the phone waiting and he's talking with Vincent and waiting to hear, 
is it him or is it not him? And we get that close-up shot of Vincent taking up the foreground. And then in the background, we see uh, the police officer with the arm sling. We see him stand up and come into frame. And then we have the other officer, Casals, I think his name is, or something, uh, Cassius. He walks into the frame behind from behind Pacino. And it's this moment of anticipation, like, what's going to happen? And we are curious, what is Charlene going to say? And as she comes out and she is there, what's going to happen? Is she going to turn him in or is she going to yell at him to let him go? And then just to have that very subtle gesture of just one swipe of her hand. Oh, so beautifully done. And then at this point, they say it's not him. He fucking gets away. And then Hannah's like, I'm done. I'm going to go back to my hotel. I'm going to take a shower and I'm going to sleep for a month. Hannah finds Lauren unresponsive in his hotel room bathtub after a suicide attempt and rushes her to the hospital. He reconciles with Justine after they learn that Lauren has survived. Macaulay drives to the airport with Edie, but he learns Wayne Grove's location and abandons his usual caution to seek revenge. Macaulay infiltrates the hotel, pulls the fire alarm, bursts into Wayne Grove's room and kills him. As Macaulay returns to Edie, he is spotted by Hannah. Macaulay adheres to his code, abandoning Edie within seconds. Anna pursues Macaulay onto the tarmac at the Los Angeles International Airport. The two stalk each other, and Hannah shoots Macaulay in the chest. Anna takes Macaulay's hand as Macaulay dies of his wounds. Roll credits. This next sub-story of following Natalie Portman's character and the suicide attempt, this again was a scene that... I didn't get its purpose in the movie. No, neither did I. It came out of left fucking field. And yeah, I, I mean, that's all I can really say to it. I just don't get it. Uh, Ronnie, what'd you think of the suicide attempt? Um, kind of like you said, I, I, I didn't understand why we, why that was there. Did we, I, I don't think we needed that. Um, it, it didn't make much sense to me that all of a sudden, you know, we see him come home and, and she's in the bathtub. Um, I could certainly have done without that. Um, it, it added to the length with, which, you know, I, I know that I said that it wasn't boring to me at any, any point, but that, that one scene, I was like, why did we need that? I didn't need it. Yeah. Yeah. It just came out of nowhere. Yeah. So it's a weird thing to happen too. When he's in the middle of a manhunt to take a break, to take care of this, you know, this stepdaughter who's tried to commit suicide. And then as soon as he's given the green light, he's back on the hunt. Yeah. Well, I I thought that the reason why he ended up back at the hotel, because he thought that Neil was, that's it. He's gone. He's missed the opportunity. Well, that's exactly why he was at the hotel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then once they were back at the, uh, when they were together at the hospital with with his wife, I was thinking, well, maybe that's the reason why the suicide's in here, so they can kind of sort of have a meeting of minds together. I guess I I don't know. Have it, a little closure, sort of. Yeah. Well. But but what I did notice is, did you notice how fast he went down those stairs? He was excited to get back into the game. Yeah. He All, was almost giddy. Yeah, he was cruising down those stairs as fast as he could go. He wanted to get back to this. Right, cuz he thought he thought he had missed his chance. And now here's his chance to take down his his nemesis. Mm-hmm. Uh so we get to the scene where uh Macaulay and Edie are in the car 
and they're driving to the airport and I'm thinking they're going to get away. And he makes a call to Nate, John Voight's character. And Nate says, oh, by the way, that guy you were looking for, he's at the hotel by the airport. You asked, so I'm telling you asked, so I'm telling you. Yeah. And that was just so matter of fact. Right. And at first Neil's like, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Whatever. And he leaves it with you're home free. And then, so you're going to let this go. He's like, yes. And then he hangs up the phone and then he drives into the tunnel with the white light. And then they come out of the tunnel and he's changed his mind. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's where it's the expressions that he's making, you know, uh, you can see the internal conflict. So we have, uh, we have Neil saying now there's something I got to do. There's time. Ironic with his dream comment about having, having enough time. Yeah. yeah there's, yeah. and he says there's time. Yeah. And then, so he, they pull up to the hotel and he tells Edie, keep the engine running. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I'm thinking, Oh fuck. Why, why did you fucking go? You were home fucking free at this point. As soon as he says, I got to take care of something. I went, Oh fuck. It's going to go to shit. He's going to die. They're going to fucking kill De Niro. Damn it to all the fuck. So they get to the hotel. He goes in, infiltrates it, just kind of like the beginning with the ambulance, right? He just kind of knows what he's doing. He just walks in. He goes down to the innards of the hotel, and he makes a call to the front desk saying he's from room service. Fucking brilliant, right? Mm -hmm. Finds out the room, goes up, pulls the alarm. Puts uh, on a uniform, the hotel uniform, security uniform. Yeah, again, he's no fucking slouch. He knows what he's doing. And he gets to the room, and this room is even being watched by the LAPD, right? But... I mean, he doesn't fucking care. He gets into the room and he just fucking kills Wengro. Uh, unbeknownst to De Niro, he solved a serial killer crime spree as well. So how's that for humanity? Kudos to him. Absolutely. And so he leaves and naturally, since Hannah is on the scent, we have to get the scene of him at the window with Edie. And I thought this was... You know, he he finally lives by his rule. He's going to drop everything and walk away. That's the Um, discipline. Yeah, that's the discipline. And he does. But, you know, unfortunately and realistically, who's going to win in a race? De Niro or Pacino? Well, it depends. Was Pacino on crack or cocaine at this point? I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say he was a coked out version of this cop. I do have to admit something, and it's going to be a big surprise for you. If it's about De Niro's acting, I don't even want to fucking hear it. No, but I was going to say, I read this scene wrong. And you guys have made a great point about the 30 seconds, you know, walk away. I thought when he was looking at her in the car and thinking, you know, seeing Hannah and all that, that he was going to walk by the car because he wasn't going to bring her into it, that he was going to let her be safe and her be able to walk away, not him just leaving her because that's the code he lives by. <laughs> oh, no, so, dude, this was all about him. So <laughs> I, I agree. I, I see it differently now. Yeah, yeah. Ronnie, the decision, what do you think? I, I'm I'm actually glad that he did what, what he did. Um, I, I, I thought at first that he was actually going to get back into, into the car and try to get away with her and after that he you know that he didn't do it i realized that that was never gonna happen um no matter what he what he would have done so i'm glad that they did with it what they did um i'm still kind of bummed about the ending though i know right yeah Ugh. Ugh. uh i for one did not like that decision and so yeah the, the decision to stop at the hotel or decision to walk away? The decision to stop at the hotel. 
Because he was sure. home free. He was home free. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, I guess I'd root for Robert De Niro in anything other than Cape Fear. I, I was surprised, though, that how disciplined he's been through the whole movie, Neil, that he, when he's, he knows that he's, you know, that he's done this, that he's going to get off scot-free, that he still makes the decision to go back to kill Wayne Grove. Because he, he, he's, he's got to know that that might make it all just completely disappear for him. You know, everything's going to be yeah. gone. Question. You're a police officer there overlooking the uh, the evacuation of a hotel with the fire alarm. And somebody runs up to you and says, give me that shot. Okay. You just hand him that shotgun. Oh, is that what uh, it, I do if it's fucking Al Pacino? <laughs> so now Hannah and uh, Neil are playing cat and mouse in the uh, on the tarmac of uh, uh, LAX. And how easy was it for De Niro to run out on a fucking uh, runway? Where's the fucking security? Pretty easy. Yeah, this is very pre-9-11. Well, he right? did have to hop over a hedge. Oh, that's true. He did. He did. So through uh, a series of shadow games, uh, Al Pacino gets the drop on him, and De Niro gets it in the chest. I thought it was clever the way they did that, because I thought originally the whole thing with the lights and that De Niro noticing the plane lights and all that, he was timing it so that Pacino would be blinded. But Pacino looked down and saw the shadow, and that's what... Yeah clued him into that's where he is and And so i thought that was a clever clever bit of writing yeah you get the whip around and boom down goes de niro so when we have this happen and we are down to these final moments of the movie i am curious to know did any of you have a particular thought as to who you thought was going to come out alive and who was going to die oh i knew as soon as de niro takes that left he's dead so I knew it was De Niro. I really thought that they were both going to kill each other. Yeah, I sad to say this, but I still wanted De Niro to uh, to survive in the end. So you wanted him to shoot Pacino, <laughs> either that or just get away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you wanted him to shoot Pacino. Come on, you can you can say it, buddy. But it would have been okay. Pacino was so you knew that <laughs> Pacino was so hyped up on whatever crack or whatever he was smoking. Coke. He's a fucking cokehead. That he, you could have shot him six times in the chest, and he's still gonna walk away. Well, from he it. is fucking Tony Montana. Exactly. Come on. In the end, I really didn't know who was gonna get shot. It was up in the air for me, and depending upon how it played out, I think I would have been okay with a movie, kind of either way. That these are both very very good characters that are very very efficient not so good isn't the right word but they are very good at what they do and because they're very good at what they do i i i went back and forth and i really didn't know who was going to come out in on top in the end and i i would have understood if it would have been vincent that would have gone down just because of the grittiness of the story and and the fact that you know all of these characters are dying, there's so much killing in this that I, only one of them's coming out alive. I didn't think that it was going to be both of them, but I, I thought that I I just couldn't tell. And so in the end, I, I dug the way that it ended up being Al Pacino coming How, out. How's this for an ending? Pacino gets to drop on him instead of shooting him six times in the chest shoots the gun out of his hand, shoots him in the knee, and your ending shot is them walking away from the camera with De Niro in handcuffs. That's not bad. 
And then they could have set up for the sequel that that uh, all right, you're fucking done. that Pacino could have gotten him out of jail, and then they'd do a buddy buddy movie. Yeah, you're fucking done. I still want De Niro to. Uh, you get, still want him I to win. I still want him to get to that fucking island. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't fucking blame you, Ronnie. I'm with you. So, uh, Professor, what do you think? Is it time to rate this bitch? Yeah, let's rate this bitch. This bitch that's in heat. See what I did there? Hey, Professor, how do we do our ratings? We do our ratings on a scale of one to five fucks. Five fucks is a movie that we consider to be cinematic gold. It is something that you are ready to watch anytime. It is so excellent. A one fuck movie is a movie that's one and done. You've seen it and, you know, you have no desire to ever see it again. And what's a zero? A zero fuck movie is a movie where somebody owes you two hours of your life back. Fuck you for making me watch this. As a matter of fact, brother, you're going down. In other words, we just don't give a fuck. Who would like to go first for this heat? Not it. Not it. I'll go first. As I previously mentioned on a, our last podcast, I've kind of changed the way that I do my reviews, so hopefully they're a little more accurate in Don's eyes. Uh, I've now broken out my reviews into five sep- or excuse me, four separate categories uh, based off of you know the technical aspects, whether or not I thought the script or story was good, my own enjoyment based off of my own bias, as well as the rewatchability or whether or not I can re- recommend this movie. Now, when it comes to the technical and the director aspect of this movie, very well-made movie. And in fact, I really appreciated the nonverbal parts of this movie in the fact of, you know, you could see in the eyes of the characters and in their motions and when their faces changed, you knew exactly what was going on and what was in their heart. So Michael Mann did an amazing job when it came to that. Um, would I say it's a five in that category? No, because there were, like I said, there were scenes that felt overacted. There were scenes that felt underacted. There were, you know, a lot of interesting choices that Michael Mann made. Some of them I agreed with, some of them I dis- didn't agree with. So if I was going to give a rating just based off of the technical director aspect, I'd be looking at a four in that regard. But when it comes to script story, um, the subplots killed it for me. I would have loved to just seen the movie focus on the tension of building up to the next score and the planning and kind of giving us that Ocean's Eleven feel of it's all about the heist. It's all about the crime. And it's in you know playing the game of the cops and robbers. I would have preferred if the movie had focused on that. So that's where the movie dropped down and got a much lower rating of around a two for me for around the script. Now, my enjoyment of the movie, uh, I kind of felt like I could, you know, give or take it. I loved the, you know, just having the fact of De Niro and Al Pacino in the same movie. You know, you could watch them in just about anything and enjoy the movie. They both do an amazing job. Um, I guess I'm just more of a fan of De Niro when, you know, when it comes to things like the Untouchables movie, where you really get to see his acting chops. You know, he was just really slick he was you know really calm really collective until about the end of the movie uh he was playing that character it's not my favorite character of De Niro, so that took it a little bit away from me uh al pacino again don you brought it up he kind of had that scent of a woman type character uh with the really the overacting and the yelling out the lines and doing all that and i thought you know they kept going back and forth of he's just this badass cop who doesn't care about anything and he's going to just catch the criminal at all costs 
And then they kept trying to throw in these scenes of, oh, he actually is a cop with a heart who cares about people. So I kept going back and forth. And then, you know, I really didn't appreciate that, you know, I know you guys said that everybody was kind of bad in this movie, but just the way that, you know, everyone treated each other, you know, the husbands and the boyfriends treated their, their women. It's just, I didn't appreciate those parts of the movie. So that's a point where I could have, you know, kind of taken it or leaving it. So it kind of got a middle of the road there for 2.5. Now, rewatchability or recommend this movie. I think it's another one of those movies that once you know how it ends and you know what's going to happen, um, I could watch parts of this movie and over and over again. I don't know if I'd want to watch the whole movie over and over again. Um, the scenes of the shootouts and uh, things like that, those are amazingly filmed. I thought they were, um, you know, incredibly done. Um, probably some of the best action scenes I've seen, but all of it with the sub stories and all of that, um, again, kind of killed it for me. I don't know if I could make it through the whole movie, especially with commercials. I think I might like to see it without the commercials, but, uh, you know, I might recommend this to people, but I don't know rewatchability wise if I could do it again. So if I took all those scores of my different categories and I averaged them together, it comes out to be a 2.5 fucks. All right. 2.5 fucks from the comic book guy. You want to go or you want me to go? All right, go ahead. All right. So the movie heat, this I think is a very good uh, movie. It is a strong body of work that Michael Mann has put together and Watching it, not for several years, I had forgotten a couple of aspects of it. I, I forgot about the whole uh, sub-story of Natalie Portman. And I uh, was curious as to, as we were talking about why it was in there. And, you know, all movies have, you know, their shortcomings. And I thought that the shortcomings are definitely, they do not outweigh the strong the strength that the movie has, the uh, the heist scenes, uh, the armored car scene, the the drive-in scene, and definitely the bank heist. These are beautifully done. I loved how these were filmed, and there is some really sexy camera work in there that we didn't necessarily address. There's a couple of camera shots that I really dug. The first time we see Neil's place, he walks into his glass house at the ocean. And it's that close-up shot of the coffee table, and then he puts his gun down onto the table, and then the camera moves up, leaving the gun in frame as he silhouettes himself against the, uh, uh, the, the door frame. And it's dark in the house, and then we focus on the turbulent waves outside. Very nicely done. There were several other camera shots that I really appreciated throughout the movie, so I really appreciated how this was put together. And for the most part, I thought that Al Pacino and Robert De Niro were fantastic in this. They are at the top of their game. How they portrayed their characters are brilliant. I thought that the diner scene is fantastic. It's easily one of my favorite scenes in the movie. And I totally loved the, uh, the closing scene that we have with Chris as well as he is waved off by Charlene. And I thought that the uh, the accompanying music was done so well. The uh, the the piece of music that they use uh, when uh, when uh, Vincent is pursuing and closing in on Neil, it, I I love that piece of music. The uh, the bank robbery music. I 
I thought that this is a very well-crafted movie that I think stands the test of time. And I enjoyed the cast. They, I thought that they played their parts very well. And for the most part, I am eager to watch this movie sometime in the future. It didn't really feel like a three-hour movie. I know it's a long movie, but it, it didn't drag for me. Definitely some stuff in there, but still, I, I think that it's, it's a good movie. 4.25 fucks. 4.25 fucks from the professor. Sir? Yeah. You want to yeah, go? I'll go. Um, saw this first time when I was 23 or 24. Was just amazed by it. Um, first of all, the, the, the shootout scene. But um, watching it this time... I, I think, you know, with a more uh, adult set of eyes watching it, um, I, I was even more floored by it um, from the big, very beginning. I mean, with the uh, um, the armored, core, uh, armored car heist, uh, I just thought that was brilliant. Um, and then, like the professor said, the acting, especially from Pacino and uh, De Niro, I just love those two guys. I think they did an amazing job uh, on this. And uh, even though, it, yeah, a little overacting, uh, I, the, the whole great-ass scene, I th- personally thought that was a bit much from Pacino, but but still, he's just he's just so amazing. And uh, I loved De Niro's uh, character. So, so cool, calm, and collected throughout the whole movie. I loved him playing that a role like that. And um, I just thought that there were so many uh, of the scenes that I just, again, the um, the one with um, Chris's wife. With th- that that hand wave, it, it was one of two scenes that I remembered when Jill asked me about it. And watching it again, even if it was just on my little iPad, uh, it just broke my heart. And I thought that Val Kilmer, he played it so well that that, you know... His broken heart, you, you see it right when it happens. He knows what, what he's got to do. And so, although, so there, there's just a lot of small things that I'm just like, this is so good. This is so amazing. And I was, well, I think when, I, when, when we watched it the other day, I was at a, probably a 4.75. Then listening to you guys, yeah, I see, well, maybe I was a little wrong about something here and there. Uh, I definitely still want to give it a 4.5 fucks. 4.5 fucks from our guest, Ronnie. 4.25 from the professor and 2.5 from the comic book guy. So, so I'm eager to hear what you thought of Heat. The hype that surrounded this movie before it was released was palpable. De Niro and Pacino on screen for the first time together? Fuck off. I mean, it was going to be amazing. And that's exactly what I was looking for. I think at that point, the story might have come secondary. But knowing that it was Michael Mann and that it was a bank heist movie, you know, I I got excited for it. With Pacino playing a coked out cop on the heels of De Niro and his crew, needless to say, I was beyond excited to see this. Did the film live up to my expectations up until the ending of the movie? Yes, it did. It felt very much like Miami Vice uh, from the set design to the tone, uh, especially the score. But that's man's style, and that's not a bad thing. So I really enjoyed that. Pacino and De Niro's scene, their cafe scene, is probably one of the most memorable scenes of any movie 
anytime, anywhere because of the gravity of the situation and just the mere presence of De Niro and Pacino at where they were at that time in their career. I mean, they were on the top of the mountain. These were the two alpha dogs getting to play in the same sandbox and it was fucking magnificent. I will watch that scene any day of the week. The rest of the cast, they did a really good job. You know, uh, Kilmer was fine. Uh, All the supporting characters were fine. And what really drove that home was uh, the story. And as it pertained to the bank heist and the cops versus the robbers, all that other stuff you kind of throw in there. Yeah, whatever. So I thought that the cast did a really good job. Now, here's what I didn't like. Uh, The runtime. It was way too long, in my opinion, and the editor in me was always looking for things to cut out. I think the subplots really, really slowed us down. The the stepdaughter's suicide coming out of left field, and then the whole serial killer aspect going nowhere, and then just a lot of added scenes that just took a long time that really didn't tell us much. And some of these decisions made by our characters are questionable at best. I didn't like the ending. I know that normally the bad guys are not supposed to get away, but I'm with you, Ronnie, on this one. I was really hoping that De Niro would get away, and he didn't, and he did it because uh, of the choice he made, you know, and that choice fucking annoyed me. When they get to the airport, there's still 30 minutes left of this fucking movie, and I felt that the ending felt forced and rushed despite it taking another 30 minutes to wrap up and because it was really long and because i was fucking annoyed i'm giving heat 3.75 fucks right on all right now comes the point in our podcast where we are going to select our next film and we are going to let our guest ronnie select the next movie out of the bronco helmet and it is Big. All right. So Ronnie pulled out big from the Bronco helmet. Uh, We want to thank Tatiana again for submitting that. We look forward to watching that. Uh, Be sure to tune in next week when we talk about Red Dawn. Um, And we may or may not have a guest for that. Currently, she will be here. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Uh, We will welcome back uh, Ronnie's better half, Jill. And we will be talking about the 1984 Red Dawn. All right. So that is going to wrap it up for this episode of Three Guys in a Flick. I just want to thank Ronnie again for coming on. It was uh, good to have you. Did you have a good time? I did. Thanks for having me. All right. That's it was awesome. good having you on. I, I do you. want to ask Ronnie, you've listened to, as far as I know, a lot of our podcasts. Are you going to listen to this one? I, I think, uh, honestly, I think I was uh, embarrassingly bad at this. I probably won't. I don't no. think that's I don't think that's a correct answer there, but mm. I think as one of our faithful listeners, I will as it. we are promoting you, you need to listen to us. It's a moral imperative. Yeah. Absolutely. You what movie a, is that from? You did a great job, Ronnie. I'll be listening. Real genius. I just want to thank Zach, Ronnie, and Jill for always listening. Hey, John, where can they find us? They can find us at our website, threeguysinaflick.com, where along with the podcast recording, we also post our show notes as well as trivia from each of the movies. You can also find us on social media. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on all of the podcast hosting sites, Podbeam, uh, Spotify, uh, iTunes. You can find us everywhere. All right. So for three guys in a flick, I'm Don. I'm John. I'm Ken. And I'm Ronnie. Thanks for listening.
You guys ready? Yeah. A couple more minutes. Oh, for fuck's sake! Because yeah. mm, we're friends. Uh, favorite Danny Trejo movie? Um, Con Air. First one that jumped to my head. So you like him as a rapist? Okay, good to know. Monitor teen. Monitor teen him. Monitoring. 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 Mon- Mon- Great shot as we slowly zoom in on him. Yeah. He says that. Except it was underacted. <sighs> you're you're friends with this guy? Well, I was. So. A little birdie told me that one of our faithful listeners, someone who I'm looking at right now, started one of our podcasts. My favorite movie, Moulin Rouge. But didn't finish it. That's actually not true. Are you calling your wife a liar? Uh, she, she must have misunderstood what I was saying when I told her about this, because I listened through that whole podcast, all of it, and I know that I will never, ever watch that movie have you ever seen it nope good for you good sir see we have saved somebody yeah we cannot watch big i veto it why because they reference the 1986 super bowl between the denver broncos and the new york giants all right fuck off good night